So we're talking about the, the sailor. Actually, he's feeling better. Praise God. Um, we're talking about the sailor series. We've been talking about what that means to pause, right? To stop and, and all of these different aspects. And how good was it to hear about worship last week from our pastors? Wasn't that cool? That was good. Yeah, it was interesting. It was good. Anyways, yeah, it was good. Um, I actually walked in the back today and I noticed a change in your worship. I noticed Wednesday night at Collision, which was amazing. There was a change in the atmosphere of worship. We were here. We were into it. And it leads into really what we're talking about this morning is we were present. We were not just at a concert. We were in the presence of God, giving him what he deserves. And he was reaching back and meeting us where we're at. Amen. And so what I want to talk about today is about the, the fact that a lot of times in our lives, we need to take those Selah moments to check ourselves, to make sure that we are present, that we're engaged, that we're aware of what's going on around us. And we're involved in whatever moment that God has put us in. Um, this past week, I was driving in the car on the way to take my kids to school in the morning. And now my wife takes our oldest because um, she goes to Kamehameha. My wife works up there, so they go together every morning. But I take the 13-year-old boy and the 6-year-old girl, Sammy and Isaac, and I take them to school every morning. And so you know how it is when you get in the car, um, you get your morning routine down to the minute. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like you guys know that if you're out the door exactly at that time, you're going to make it to that one stoplight by this time. And if you see that blue car pass you, then you're a little bit late. You know, you, you got it all like down to the wire. So I got in the car and I looked at him like, okay, I know what the minute is right now. I got enough time to get six-year-old to school and the, you know, the 13-year-old. The and, and as we were, we were driving, I think it was on the way to school. I don't know. I could be it was either on the way to school or on the way back. Either way, we jumped in the car, and I, I noticed the time that was on the clock. And my daughter starts talking to me from the back, saying, hey, Dad, blah, 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 we're taking pictures this Friday. What dress should I wear? And I'm just like kind of, hmm, let me think about it a little bit. Easy question, right? I should just be able to answer. But I was a little bit distracted. I was thinking about other stuff. And I'm driving, and I just figure, oh. And I said, well, uh, I think you should wear the blue one. And she said, what? I said, what? So you asked me, didn't you just ask me about what dress you should wear? Yeah, like 42 hours ago. I'm like, what, 42 hours ago? <laughs> and I look at the, the um, clock in my, in my truck, you know, because I had looked at it right when we got in the car. So she asked me the question, like, right as we got in the car. And I looked and I noticed three minutes had gone by from the time she asked the question to the time I answered. Where did those three minutes go? I'm driving in the car. She asked me a simple question. Which dress should I wear? And I thought, I asked, hey, you should wear your blue one. And I look at the thing and she goes, 42 hours later, dad. I'm like, yeah, right. And I go, three full minutes went by. My kid asking me a simple question and my mind was everywhere else. And you know, it got me thinking, how much more time do I burn in people's lives? And do I not give all of me and all of my attention, all I'm supposed to, to me, to my friends, to my family, to my church, to whoever, or to Jesus himself, because my mind is off wondering, or I'm distracted, or I'm doing something else. And here's the deal. I'm there, but I'm not really there. You guys hear what I'm saying? I was in the car with my daughter talking to her. I wasn't really engaged. It took me three minutes to answer a simple question. And I know that as a, as a society, as a culture, thanks to technology and all this stuff, we're more distracted now than we ever were. I was looking at statistics about um, accidents caused by smartphones and how they've doubled, tripled, and it just, it's gone crazy. Auto accidents because people are looking at phones or they're distracted or, or all of that. Even with the laws, we still blow it, right? And I, I was reading this article um, that I saw on the internet. You guys might have heard about this article. 
It says this about distractions, about not being really, we're there, but we're not there. It says, smartphones are to blame for slow service at restaurants. You guys read this? How many of you guys read this article? I read this article recently, and I found it so fascinating. It says, here's why your restaurant service stinks. You. It says, a famous New York restaurant, stung by increasing complaints about its allegedly slow waiters, discovered that the tardiness was actually the fault of the diners, not the staff. It says, we added more staff and cut back on the menu items, but the complaints continued, the manager of the unidentified restaurant said in his analysis, which was posted on Craigslist, but later deleted. It all started earlier this year, when the restaurant decided to go back to the drawing board to root out the problem. Why does it take so long for people to come in, get a meal, pay... Why is it taking so long? We cut back on, on the menu items. We increase staff. It's not working. It says the number of customers we serve on a daily basis is almost the same today as it was 10 years ago. But the service just seems super slow, even though we added more staff and cut back the menu items. Luckily, the manager had saved surveillance footage of the dining room on camera from 2004. Then he, practi- he practically dropped his fork when he compared it to 2014. So 10 years ago, he brought out the archive photo or video of what was going on in the dining room, compared it to what it looked like now. Um, the wait staff hadn't really changed its approach. Um, the diners had, and it says this, instead of one hour and five minutes, a one hour and five minute meal from waiter to check, In the pre-smartphone age, the now Yelp era eaters take one hour and 55 minutes, and cell phones are to blame. It says it took 50 minutes longer now because of cell phones. He talks about different things in 2004. No one took pictures of their food. In 2014, more than over half the diners did, wasting an average of at least three minutes um, every time. In 2004, two out of 45 customers sent their food back. Ten years later, nine out of 45 customers sent their food back for reheating because they're taking pictures of their food and it got cold. Um, Check this out. In 2004, customers on average spent eight minutes before closing the menu to show that they were ready to order. And it said it's longer today, up to twice as long today, and that the waiter had to come back like two or three times before customers were ready to order because the first thing people do when they sit down is check their phones, check in. Uh, Where is Carl at today? Carl is dining with royalty. Location, Burger King. Carl is enjoying Scottish food right now. Location, McDonald's, right? And we post all these dumb things, and we're just wasting all this time. And it goes on, and it says, in 2004, after guests were done with their meal, the checks delivered, and the guests depart within five minutes. This year, its guests requested that their checks 20 minutes later, on average, than they were after they were done eating, because they're busy with their phones. Once the check was delivered, they took over 15 minutes longer to pay and leave. In, in 2004, no one asked the waiter to take a group photo. This year, 27 out of 45 customers did, and 14 of those requested the waiter to retake the photo. <laughs> It's unclear which restaurant conducted the investigation, but plenty of restaurants are experiencing the cell hell of food paparazzi. Um, wait, uh, the chefs are complaining. By the time customers finished photographing the dish, their creation went cold. Um, some restaurants even make customers surrender their smartphones during the meal, while others, like Bucato in Los Angeles, have banned phones altogether. How crazy is that? But you know what that tells me is we're too distracted. We're there, but we're not paying attention. You know, this is just with restaurants, and this is just with smartphones. But I believe this. We're robbing the people around us in our lives of 
our best. We are not giving our best person to the people around us and to the God that we are supposed to have this relationship with because we're distracted, because we're there, but we're not really there. And that I owe people more than just my physical presence there, but I owe people the fact that my mind is engaged, my heart is engaged. If there is a need, I'm there to fill it. I'm there to make a difference in people's lives. Amen? And so I want to talk about today the Salem moments where we need to pause and just learn to be present. And I want to talk from a passage in Scripture, one chapter in the Bible, just a few verses here, in Luke chapter 10, where there's two major examples that Jesus makes. Number one, it's a story he tells. Number two, it's part of the story he lived, and it's an example we get from that. But here's the first thing I want to talk about is being present with others. Okay? Be present with other people because here's how we preface the story. The story of the Good Samaritan starts off like this. A man came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, teacher, rabbi, you know, leader, you, you claim to be the guy. You look like you're the guy. You've got answers. Here's what I want to know. What's, a port most, what's the one most important commandment in the law of Moses? In all the Old Testament law, what is the most important thing we need to do to have a relationship with God? And, and also he said, what is the one thing I need to do to get eternal life? In other words, he asked the main question. You're talking about God. Here's the one thing I need to know. What's the most important? What will get me eternal life with God? And Jesus comes along and he goes, let me answer that question. He goes, actually, it's more than just one thing. This is what's cool about what Jesus says. He goes, I'm going to tell you one thing, and I'm going to tell you second thing is that's equally important. First thing, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Number one, God. You have love for God. Secondly, equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. He says all the law, the prophets, all the commandments, everything in the book, Old Testament, New Testament, Everything revolves around, if you want to walk out of church today and someone goes, hey, what's Christianity all about? And you could give this answer. Love God with everything I got and love other people. Really, that's what it all comes down to. All the rest is details on how to do those two things. So the guy's going, I love my neighbor as myself. And the guy goes, well, elaborate, Jesus, I don't get it. Who's my neighbor? Can you explain to me what it is to love, love my neighbor as myself? So Jesus now goes into this thing that says, here's how you love other people. And he tells a story. Luke 10, verse 30, he says, he replied with a story. There's a Jewish man traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's riding his donkey. He's cruising. It's a 19-mile journey. And in the road from Jerusalem to Jericho goes through this heavy like valley. Like geographically, it's this valley with like guarded walls, and it's a real easy place, dangerous place to get jumped by bandits. So sure enough, you, read, you hear the story. Jesus goes, a Jewish man traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. So by chance, the Bible says, by chance meaning some translations say, luckily, like it's a good thing, hey, good thing, a priest happened along. It says a priest came along. Oh, awesome. Guy's hurting. He's almost dead. Here comes a man of God. This is going to go good. But it says, but when the priest saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and he passed him right on by. And you're going, boo, priest, loser. And second, 30, verse 32 says, a temple assistant, which would be like an associate pastor or a helper, someone serves in the church, walk, also walked over and looked at the man lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Boo, temple assistant. Then it says in verse 33, then a despised Samaritan came along. 
Now, now check this out. Jesus is calling him despised, not because Jesus is mean, but he's describing the racial tension of the day. The Jews were, the, were God's people, pure race, don't intermingle with other races, keep my people, keep the lineage pure. Some of the Jews in the areas were meeting girls or guys in the surrounding areas and cultures, and they were intermingling and intermarrying. And there's these Samaritans, Samaritan people, were half-breeds, half-Jews, half-other races and people in the area of Samaria. And so the half-breeds and the real full-breed Jews had this racial tension because the, the true Jews were snobs. And they're like, you know what? We don't consider you. We don't even eat with you. We won't look at you. We won't go in your house. We don't like you. They had racial slurs and all this. Samaritans, ah, oh, they're like dogs. And they're totally, total racial tension. So Jesus goes, hey, this guy comes along who is despised by Jewish people. And the guy that's hurting on the road, he's Jewish. If the guy was up and alive and healthy, they probably wouldn't even talk. But it says the despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. He goes, I don't even care that this guy probably won't like me. The guy's in need, and I'm here, and I see it, so I better do something about it. In other words, see a need, fill it. Here's what we're talking about, guys. Be present. Be aware of every moment you live in and what circumstance is going on. Do something about it. Live like a Christian. He came along, saw the man, felt compassion. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, which was like the first aid kit back in the day, right? Olive oil and wine. Bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He got off and walked. He took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. I got to go do my stuff, but take care of this guy. He says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked, the priest, the temple assistant, or the despised Samaritan? The man replied, the one who showed mercy. The word mercy here means kindness, goodness, and love. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. You know what this is a story of? It's a story that Jesus is making an example to us and saying, be the guy that was present. Be present in whatever situation. The priest was in the same place. He was there, but he wasn't really there. I don't got time for this. Temple assistant, let me go take a look, right? Rubbernecker like us on the road. Oh, accident. Everybody slows down to look. You're right on. We drive, we drive right on by. The, the temple assistant, rubbernecker, comes over like, oh, this guy's beat pretty bad. Oh, that's too bad. I got to go. Right? I got stuff to do. I got to go to church. And these two people were there, but they weren't there. Samaritan comes along, and he goes, I don't even care. I know this guy won't even like me. It doesn't even matter. The dude's hurting right now. I got to do something about it. I believe Jesus is making a point for us to be aware, to be present, to be involved in every moment of our lives, down to your daughter asks a question, Carl, answer her back. Be in her life. Be aware of what's going on in your world. Be involved in what's going on, because here's the deal. People need you. People need you involved and aware of what's going on in their lives. People need you to come and to just talk. My kids need to have a relationship with me. There's, there's people in my, in my life that need me to encourage them and that I'm the blessing that they received that day because God worked through me because I was there to, to be present and to listen and to do something about it. There's people in our lives that their marriages are hanging on the balance and they don't know if they should stick together. They need you, Christian, to get in there and say, you know what, nothing is too big for God. I'm gonna work and pray and we're gonna do whatever we can to pull it back together. Now, I know there's circumstances that go above and beyond that little quick fix, but do you get what? 
what I'm saying is that you need to be present in people's lives because you can change people's story. You and I need to be present in people's lives because we could be the person that changed their story. How great is it if you are the person that becomes part of someone's testimony with God? You know, you've all heard the stories. You all have a testimony. Testimony is my life before God, how I met God, and my life after. It's awesome. It's our story about what God can do in our lives. But how great is it when the people are telling the story and they go, oh, and all because of that one guy, he was praying for me. Or I remember talking to my sister and she showed me what the Bible is all about. Or my mom kept dragging me to church all those years. You be the person that's part of someone's testimony. How? By being present in their lives. Are you guys hearing me? Be there for people because people need what you have. Um, there's a verse in Psalm 23 that I've been loving a lot lately. It's Psalm 23. You guys know it. It's the good shepherd. Jesus is the good, good shepherd, right? And one of the lines in there in verse 4 says, Even when I walk through the darkest valley, this is David writing, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. And I love that. I love the imagery of he's a shepherd, I'm a dumb sheep. I get that. The more I let him lead, the better my life goes. That's awesome. I love that concept. And David knew it better than most because he was a shepherd. But the word that really has been just catching me a lot lately is the word right there, even when I walk through. It's the word through that has power in it. You know why? Because here's David saying, not just when I walk into a dark valley is Jesus there, but because Jesus is by my side, he walks me through the situation. That I can count on him to be with me as I'm walking through the darkness on into the light on the other side. And if I'm called to be a shepherd, because I am, because you are too, because you have influence over people's lives, you motivate people's lives, you have authority to speak into their lives, your spouse, your kids, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your, your friends, whoever you have influence in their life, you're called to be a shepherd like the good shepherd. And what we're called to do is to be present so that we can walk with people, not just into their situation. Oh, you what, what happened? You lost your job? Oh, I walked with them right up to it. And then I just said, I'll pray for you. See you later, right? I see you on the side of the road there. You're beat up. I'll say a prayer when I get to church. Take it easy. We don't just walk to the situation with people. Here's the difference. We walk through the situation with people. Are you guys hearing me? That's being present. That's being present when, shoot, recently there was a time in my wife's life last, last year. We were going through something, and probably I was the cause of it. And, and she was going through a hard time, and she was upstairs just decompressing, laying on the bed, and just going through something. And I was just trying to be out of the house, away from it. And a friend of her, called her up or whatever, shows up, and I'm like, oh, hey, how's it going? And she's like, hi, I'm, I'm here to get your wife. I'm like, oh, I don't know if she wants to talk right now. My wife comes out. They had already, I'm like, whoa, how'd you get her to do that? That's cool. They went out, and you know what her friend did, her cousin, actually? She took her out for a, it was either a milkshake or a sundae at McDonald's, right? I'm going to go pick up your wife and drive her to, I'm like, what, that, what, yeah, that? There's nothing powerful about it. You're just going to take her, junk food is going to heal whatever's going on in her life, and you know what? That gesture of saying, I'm here with you to help you walk through the situation, not just say, I'll pray for you. You guys get what I'm saying? Took her to McDonald's for a Sunday or a milkshake or whatever. Took her home, talked, loved on her, let her vent, whatever. My wife came back different. That's all I know. All I know is that someone coming and offering to give a ride to McDonald's, be present, walk through the situation with someone, change someone's life. Are you guys hearing me? I'm not talking about spiritual stuff. It's so hard to do. I'm just talking about be there. Listen to people. 
take the time. Do whatever you need to do. And some of it may only be praying. Maybe they're just like, you know, I don't need anything right now. And you go, I'm going to pray for that guy every single day until I see God do something. Push. Pray until something happens. I'm going to push for you every single day. But we need to be there. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In other words, get into their head space, into their heart. Be present with people. Don't miss an opportunity to show love, which was the foundation for what the man was asking Jesus in the first place. What's most important? Love. Well, here's how you, you love people, is you be present with them. You really be there with them. Let me tell you a story about a friend of mine. A friend of mine I met in about 2002. I met him as, I think, a high school senior or junior. Came to my youth group. And uh, we have a picture of my friend David. Can we, can we show that first picture? This is my friend David Aluli. And um, David had been one of the hottest up-and-coming surfers in Kailua. He was at Kamehameha Schools. He was like A and B student. He was just a well-known, well-liked kid. And he, he came to my youth group one night. And I didn't know him yet. I um, had recently moved back from the mainland and um, was youth pastor of this church. And Sunday nights, we had like 200 high school kids in this room. And in the middle of my teaching, which I'm doing, it's so good. It's so awesome. I'm like preaching the word of God. One kid shoots his hand up and goes, hey. I was like, oh, uh, what? <laughs> in the middle, imagine one of you guys like, hey. And he just started telling me, what about forgiveness and blah, 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 blah. And he started like kind of arguing with me. And I was like, well, what's going on right now? This is like, you get us church? Like I talk, you listen. That's how it works. <laughs> All the kids are tripping. The kids are like, what is this guy doing? You know? And he'd say stuff, and I'd go, uh, well, um, uh, okay. And I'd answer a couple questions, and then he stopped. I'm like, oh, oh, that was scary. Whoa, that's weird, right? And go back to preaching, and then he goes, oh, so you're saying that love is like blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, no, here we go again. Literally, the kids are kind of like looking at the guy, and they're just like, <laughs> you know, like just scooting away. This doesn't happen. This is not supposed to happen in church. And I told him, finally, I, I couldn't answer all his questions. I just said, hey, I kind of got to get through, like, the message. This is kind of how it goes down, like I speak, and then, you know, whatever. I go, how about I meet with you after service, and we just go, we go talk. I'll, I'll answer any more questions outside after. I didn't know the angle, and I was nervous the rest of my sermon. Is this guy, like, mad at me? Is he going to try to kill me? Is he, is he just tripping on drugs? Or I don't even know, you know? And I preach, and I'm going, oh, man. And it was so inconvenient and so, like, kind of whatever. The church ended, and one girl came up. She goes, oh, Carl, that's my cousin, Dave. You know, he's, something happened, and he, we don't know if it's drugs or mental or whatever, but he's kind of dangerous. Watch out. And, blah, blah. and I was like, what? <laughs> and I had the choice. I could be the priest, the temple assistant. I, I knew where my truck was parked, really close. I could <laughs> get in and out and hope he doesn't come back the next week. Or I could be Good Samaritan and try to be present for this kid that had questions. I was a little worried. I, I, hey, can we meet over here? Make sure all my leaders are watching me, you know, in case I get jumped by bandits or something. But sitting there, and I just, I just introduced myself, and we just had this talk. And come to find out, he, he had suffered a mental relapse back in you know, junior year, senior year of high school, and, and his whole world changed. He wasn't the same kid anymore. No one knew what to do with him. He lost all his friends, not because they were mean, but because they didn't understand him, and they didn't know what to do with him. He literally was a different guy. Mentally, had snapped. And I got to know him. I got to talk with him. And I invited him to my youth mini church. I said, you know what, man? I'll even come pick you up. You want, you, you got, you want answers? You're looking for God? And I could see his brokenness. I just went, I'm going to put it on the line. I'm going to risk it. This guy was asking all these things. It's inconvenient. But 
I'm here and he needs people and there's a lot of people that aren't here for him anymore. And so um, we became really good friends and I started bringing him to my youth mini church. If you show the picture, um, every week I would pick, pick Dave up and there he is on the side on the couch and he, he had weird stuff going on and he would, he would do weird things and like in, in the middle of mini church and he'd hit himself in the face and we were all like, you okay Dave? You mad at yourself? Like what's going on? And he's like, smile and I'm like, okay. Um, we drive, I drop him off at his house, he'd jump out of my car, I'd run across the yard and run back across the yard and come back and thanks for the ride. And I was like, what was that all about? You know, are you racing someone? You know, and we'd be driving around, literally driving in my truck, come up to a stoplight. He would be with me, jump out the window, run to the back of my truck, run to the front of my truck, come back, jump back in the window and just smile at me like nothing. You know, I'm like, you know the door works, right? I mean... We're in traffic, like, you know, you know, but it was just different. And it was like inconvenient a lot of times. I'd take him to the beach. The guy could still just rip. He surfed circles around me despite whatever's going on. But there would be times when we'd be surfing and Dave would disappear. And I'm like, oh, where'd he go? Three hours later, I call and find out, uh, where, Dave, where'd you go? Oh, I walked home. Like, you didn't tell me? I could have given you a ride. You came with me. I could have, you know what? He just walked home from whatever beach. My mom would say, yeah, it took him like an hour and 20 minutes to walk home. And just like weird stuff. But I loved on the kid. I answered his questions. He loved Jesus. He had a hard understanding. But he loved to hear about King David in the Bible because that's his name. So he had all these great talks about King David. And his mental capacity was not all there. And he ended up in and out of... Um, Kikela crisis unit, which is like the really heavy, gnarly one for like crazy and messed up, disturbed people. He was down in there for a while. My wife and I would still go visit him in there, love on him, pray with him. Couldn't even bring him a surfer magazine because the intern said, they'll take the staples out of the magazine and hurt themselves with just the staples. It's a bad place to be down there. And so we would go and we would visit him there. We'd pray for him. He'd come in and out of the hospitals and um, I got the opportunity to baptize him. He came to a camp one day, just hungry and, and and um, we could baptize him. I got a picture of that, I think, if you could throw that one up there. To baptize Dave. We baptized him. He came out of the water. Praise God. He turned around. He swam out to sea for like 20 minutes. I'm like, <laughs> Dave, <laughs> beach is this way, buddy. Like, what just happened? I mean, he gets on. The, all the kids are loaded up. We're leaving the beach, um, the North Shore, on the bus to drive back to Kaneohe. The only one missing is Dave. He's out in the water by himself, surfing or whatever. He comes, I yell at him, he comes running in, jumps on the bus with just his shorts on, soaking wet from the ocean, rides home on the whole way home. Like the kid next to him so bummed because there's salt water all over the sea. And Dave's just like, woo, you're like, no big deal, right? But he loved Jesus. He loved to have talks about the Lord. He's always reading the Psalms, always reading about, about David. And we'd visit him in the hospital and he would always ask me and my wife, oh, what's your message for this week? What are you teaching on? And so I'd, give a little sermon to Dave. And it was just so amazing. He'd come and play with my kids. I only had two at the time, Kylie about four and Isaac about one or two years old. He'd come play with my kids and people go, you're going to let them around your kids? You're going to let them around? I'm absolutely going to let them around my kids. He thinks on the same level as my kids. They connect like no one else. And he loved my kids. And I let him come over and he hold baby Isaac. And he, he loved my kids. And I love that about him. But it was... It was hard sometimes to be around someone that's that broken, right? Eventually, he was in the mental hospital right over here at the bottom of the hill. And he choked on his food one night, and he was down on the ground, and they thought he was playing. But he actually had suffocated. He actually went brain dead um, completely. And I got a call on a Saturday night, because I had to preach on Sunday morning. I got a call on a Saturday night or early Sunday morning. 
from his mom that said, hey, Carl, David, you know, whatever, passed out and everything, and he's, there's nothing going on. He's a vegetable, and he's, he's brain dead. And I lost it. I was supposed to preach. My dad would preach back in the day, hit the first service, and I'd preach the second one. We had only two. And I came up, and I said, Dad, I can't preach. you got to cover for me. I'm just, I'm devastated. This is my boy. This is, you know, our disciples. It's like a little brother to me and our family. We, it was heavy. And uh, we dealt with that, and we went to the hospital, and we prayed like crazy. We had prayed through the years, healing over him so much. Went to the hospital, and he was, he was gone. He was there, but he's only on machines. And uh, three days later, they had to let him go, let him go home to be with Jesus. And in that story, the thing that I learned lesson, which, guys, I'm not all there yet, so this is not like blow up my head and make me feel awesome about myself, but I learned the story of the Good Samaritan and the value in being present in people's lives because not everybody's going to be present and be there for people. And that you need to be aware of the opportunity when a kid is disturbing your service with his hand raised, arguing with the pastor, that could be an opportunity. If I'm aware in the moment and have the heart of Jesus, maybe something good can have happen out of that. Something amazing happened. And at David's funeral, it was a celebration because the guy loved worship. So we, we partied with loud worship music because that's what Dave loved more than anything. Some, some Sunday nights, he would jump up on the stage in the middle of Trevor's worship and just start singing and dancing. And all the kids are like, what's going on? Who's that? You know? And he would run back and forth across the stage, clapping. And David loved to worship God. And he, one time he had an episode, he climbed up, there was a, a closet over here before with speakers on top of it, these speakers. He climbed up in the back room and he just kind of had an episode and he was kicking the speaker over and all the kids scrambled and it was just, we had to call people to take him away and all of that. But in the midst of that, we, my wife, myself, the youth group, the mini church, we were there for David Aluli and we were his friends and we loved him right into the kingdom of God. He's one of the first people when I get there someday, I'm running up to with the high five, you know, the, the hug, the chest bump, the whatever, like, Dave, yes, I'm so happy to see you. But here's what I learned. Be present, be aware, be involved, engage, live in the moment, look at who's around you and take full advantage of that. Good Samaritan, there's a need, I'm going to fill it. Is that good, guys? And that's, I'm, I'm sad and all of that, but I miss my friend David. Yet on the other hand, I learned to make the most of every moment. And I'm not there yet. And I forget, forget with my own kids sometimes. But I go back to that story and am reminded of what God did because I took the time for one kid. Here's the second thing I want you to get out of today's sermon is that we need to not just be present with others, we need to be present with Jesus. Here's this, this, the next few verses in that chapter. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home with all of his disciples. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha, key word, was so distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister Mary just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset. She's distracted with the dinner, but she's also worried and upset over all the details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. And you know what he's talking about? Mary has discovered that being with Jesus is more important than doing for Jesus. See, Martha wasn't doing necessarily bad stuff. She was distracted by good stuff. I'm welcoming Jesus into my house. I'm cooking dinner for him. That's good stuff. 
But Jesus is going, don't get distracted with the good stuff from doing the God stuff. And in your lives, if you want to be present with Jesus, make sure that you're like Mary, actually engaging and present with him, involved in whenever he's trying to talk to you or speak to you, church, mini church, your quiet time in the Lord every day, your life with him all day long, make sure you're really there. Because even when you're doing the good stuff, it, there's better stuff to, to do than just, you know, being busy. So what I want to say in this is, it says she was distracted. We got to learn to identify our distractions. Identify the things that keep you from getting into those good moments of God where you're literally in his presence and you are there and you're ready to receive. What is the distractions? Well, I'd say in my life, it's screens. Screens is a big one. Phone screens, iPad screens, TV screens, computer screens. That's something I gotta, I gotta be aware of so I can do something about that. What else? Oh, there's my schedule. My schedule's so crazy. I gotta do this with the kids. I gotta do this with work. I gotta, my wife, I gotta do this in my own personal thing. My, my car, my blah, 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 blah. What do I need to do? What are the biggest distractions that are keeping me from being present with Jesus? Because it might be good stuff, but I want the God stuff, not the good stuff. I want to really connect with him. A lot of times I find one of the biggest problems that faces my mind when I'm not connecting with God is that I'm worrying. Worry is such a big, dirty, ugly word that our mind just keeps racing. Pastor Rob said, I can't turn it off. How do I get silence and solitude? Why can't you turn it off? Because you're worried about stuff. You're worried about things from the past. Well, I went through that and that hurt and I had to deal with that and all that stuff. You know what? It happened. It's done. It's over already. Let God meet you in the here and now. You can't change anything that happened before. Well, I worry about the future because what if this happens? What if that? It's not there yet. It's unknown. It hasn't happened yet. Worry about what's happening right now. Even Jesus spoke to this in Matthew 6, 31. He says, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things, check this out, dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. People that don't know Jesus, they're driven by worry. What are we going to do? What about this? What about all of this? It dominates the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. In other words, Mary, just sit at my feet and listen to me. Martha, stop running around worrying. Come join your sister Mary over here. She figured out what matters most is just being in the presence of Jesus. Amen? But it's hard to do. It's hard for us to do. But Jesus says, if you do that, he'll take care of all your needs. Then he says in verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Identify your distractions. Identify the distractions that are bad. Oh man, the phone, all my schedule, and this and all of that. And you know what I'm thinking about? I'm sitting here in church right now and I'm hungry or I can't wait to go to the beach or whatever's on your mind. But there's some things that are actually good distractions that we would say is good distractions. God, I go to church every week. And yet the problem is you can be here, but not really be here with Jesus. Does that make sense? You need to understand that how that can actually happen. We can go to church functions. We can go to church events. We can read our Bible every morning at 7.52 for 15.3 minutes, and I've had my devotion. Yeah, you had some rigid religious experience about reading a certain amount of scripture, but you weren't really present with Jesus, sitting at his feet, receiving from it. Are you guys getting the picture? Because I'm guilty of this stuff too. So easy to come to, to church. It's easy to come to, to Collision Worship Night this last Wednesday. Go in, sit in this room, sing songs, and walk out the door and go, that was a great concert. Oh, that was odd. Oh, what a great concert that was. 
Or you can be like many of us who came in here and said, it doesn't even matter who else is around me right now. I'm in the presence of my God. And I'm giving him all the worship he deserves. And he's speaking back to me. And I just met with the Lord. I'm not here for the event's sake. I'm here to be in the presence of Jesus. Are you guys hearing me on that? It's got to be real. It's got to be, oh, I can read my Bible and still not be with Jesus. I did good stuff for him. Martha welcomed him into her house, cooking a meal for him. And he goes, that's not the same. There's no substitute for alone time with God, with his Holy Spirit. No substitute for it. The other day, Friday, I had to go to town. Had a big meeting. Potentially scary, confrontational meeting. And I was trying to prepare myself. So I had people praying for me. And I, I drove from here to town in my truck. And first, uh, someone sent me a worship song that was good. It was heavy. And I, I listened to that. I'm like, wow, thank you, God. That was awesome. And then I just went, radio off. Turn it off. And I just prayed in the spirit. I invited God's presence into my cab of my 2006 Toyota Tacoma to be right there with me so that I could be in the presence of Jesus. I just began to pray. I began to pray out in tongues. I just began to pray out all that was on my heart. I just prayed in the spirit. I just welcomed the presence of God into where I was at, that I was at his feet because I needed to be ready because this could be a rough talk. Sure enough, it was a rough talk for two hours. It was really rough. But in the middle of it, I was in the presence of Jesus. And this is what I mean by that. Middle of it, I'm talking, but I'm praying. God, I'm here, and I'm listening to you. I didn't say it out loud, because that would have been weird. The guy's like, what did you say? Oh, I just said, God, I'm, I'm in your presence right now. I'm like, go ahead, go ahead. What did you say? I didn't, wasn't like that. But as he was talking, and I was talking, I was talking to God. I'm going, God, I'm in your presence right now. Just speak to me. Give me the right words to say. Uh, keep my, my, uh, my attitude in check, and let me say what. And he would give me stuff to say. I was like, oh, how did I say that? That was so good. And the Holy Spirit's like, that was me. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> But I was in his presence in the middle of that thing. And identifying the distractions and realizing that there's no substitute for alone time with God. Mary found the God stuff. Martha was busy with the good stuff. And make sure that you're tuned in. So that means when you go to church, you're here to participate. When you come here to church, when I go to church now, it's different than it ever used to be. So I'm there to to be in the presence of Jesus. You know, it's not like, well, the song, I, I didn't like the song. You know, we talked about that last week. One of our, Josh, I think, Pastor Josh said, I'm not there at church to criticize. I'm there to participate. I'm there to find Jesus and to be in his presence. So when I worship all out, I give it to him, eyes closed, because I get distracted. Hands up, because it humbles my pride in thinking I'm so cool. This looks really weird, and I'm going for it anyway. You're my king. I surrender to you. I'm going for it. When I enter into worship, I worship when I come in to hear a message, one of our pastors is preaching or whatever, I take notes. I lean in. I listen hard. I take it to heart. I engage. I'm not just there. I'm really there to meet with Jesus. In my daily devotions, first thing I do every morning when I wake up, I pull my phone out. And you know, I'm so tempted because I got all of those awesome apps that I can press, right? Oh, I want to check Facebook. No, don't do it. I want to check Instagram. No, don't do it. But what about the news? Ah, but what about the weather, the waves? Ah. And you know, I always have to press for daily Bible. That's got to be my priority. I got to get into the word right now because I need to be in the presence of Jesus before I'm in the presence of all the distractions, all of that kind of stuff. So I do, I, I do stuff, but it's not just once a day. It's all day long. It's all throughout my day. I'm talking. Here's what I discovered about my marriage. My marriage is better because I text with my wife all day long. 
Do you guys know that? Like, everyone's like, oh, texting is the enemy. But my marriage is actually better because it keeps the lines of communication open with my wife all day long. And sometimes it's silly stuff. She's like, oh, so-and-so baked a casserole today. And I'm like, awesome, save me a piece. You know, takes pictures of it. And I'm over here going, hey, you should see Pastor Tom. He got new shoes or, you know, whatever it is. It can be dumb stuff. But we're texting back and forth all day long. But sometimes it's really good stuff. Hey, I'm praying for you. I know you got a confrontation going on. I'm proud of you. I love you, Carl. You are a good pastor. You're a good man. And I'm just like, ooh, I'm melting, you know, because my wife loves me. And it's powerful. And I get to send stuff back to her. Hey, I'm praying. I'll support you. You want me to do this with the kids, whatever. My marriage is stronger because I text with my wife all day long. And God is going, our relationship could be better the more you're keeping the communication lines open with me all day long. Are you hearing me? Time to be in the presence of Jesus, not just read your religious Bible and pray your religious prayer. Be in his presence. Really connect with him. There's this amazing quote that I heard. I read this past week, and it says this. Talking about being present. Wherever you are, be all there. Real simple. Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. And this guy, Jim Elliott, said that. We got a picture of him, I think. Jim Elliott was one of five missionaries that was killed in trying to reach this crazy, unreached, violent people group in Ecuador in 1956. He's the guy on the right over here. This guy, Jim Elliott. There's been a documentary called Beyond the Gates of Splendor. I would write that down and go look at that video. Amazing. Beyond the Gates of Splendor. And there's a movie called... End of the Spear, which is a movie. One's a documentary, one's a movie. Um, but it's based on these five missionaries that went into the jungle and said, we're all in for Jesus. These people need him. We're going to go for it. We're going to land our plane down on this little sandbar in the river. And the natives came out with their spears. And he went on the radio and said, hey, looks like a group is coming out to meet us. Talking to his wives back at the camp. Looks like they're coming. It looks like we're going to have church. We'll call you back in three hours. Never called back. Plane flew in the next day or whatever, saw all of the five guys, their bodies, hacked up by machetes, pierced with spears, found a loaded gun with them that was never used, never fired. Because these people go, these missionaries had decided we're not going to use guns. These are people we're trying to reach with the love of Jesus. Even to defend themselves in death, they never fired the gun. And so what became of that end of the story was the wives were so driven that we're going to live the same mission just because they're gone we're not giving up the mission that God gave us. We're here. We're all in. The wives and the kids of some of these people went right back to those people group, that people group, with other missionaries. A mighty hand of God, a move of God came. All of these people got set free and saved. Some of the murderers became their family's closest friends. The ones that had killed this lady's husband and the girl's dad now became like an uncle in their family because of the love of Jesus Christ. And because of this story that was published, the wife wrote all these books based on the journals of her husband, hundreds of thousands of people got saved off of this message of one man living his faith and going big. And here's a guy that says, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. And then he said this in one of his journals. They found this quote. When it comes time to die, make sure that all you have to do is die. What he meant by that was, based on his other first quote, live every moment in the moment to the fullest where God has you. Make time for people, be present with people, be present with God so that when you die, no regrets. You lived every moment to the fullest. No woulda, coulda, shoulda, woulda, bins. But 
I did it, God. I lived successfully the best. I gave my best in every single moment. With my kid in the car, six years old, asking me the question, to David Aluli, to meeting with whoever's in my life, to my quiet time with Jesus, I live my life well. When it comes time to die, make sure all you have to do is die. Isn't that good? Can we learn something here today about being present in people's lives? It makes a difference. People need you. Whatever you have, that word of encouragement, maybe it's confrontation and rebuke, maybe it's just that shoulder to cry on. People need you. Get involved. God needs you because he's going, I want to bless you, but we don't talk too much, so I got all this stuff I want to give you, but you're you're not here. Get involved. Jesus has more for you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, we love you and we thank you for your word, for the fact that you're always present with us, that you never give up on us even when we don't deserve it. You're always there. It's so good. Thank you for your word that that speaks life, that Jesus, you reminded us of what it is to be present in people's lives and to sit at your feet to be present with you. Lord, I pray that that would be the lesson we take home this week, that we begin to practice that starting right now out in the courtyard, that we would be aware of conversations we might need to have when we get in the car with our family on the way home, that we would be there and engaged and involved. Lord, as we we do whatever we do the rest of the day, that we'd be looking for opportunities to bless people's lives and to listen to how to get closer to you because, God, we need you more and more every day. Let, Let us be real. Let us live our faith. Let us be authentic Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. Not perfect, but forgiven and loving you and trying our best to live for you. If there's anybody in the room here today where... This message spoke something to you. It's not me, just to let you know it's God. Uh, I can't claim that. That's pretty cool, but it's, it's not me, it's God. And I would just say that he's talking to you, he's trying to get a hold of your attention. He loves you, he wants relationship with you. And if you're willing to, he would love to start a real, honest to goodness, eternal relationship with you right now. All you gotta do is say yes to him, give your life to him, surrender to him. It's not a weird cult thing or anything like that. It's just saying, God, I believe in you and I'm gonna go live my life according to your plans and your ways. And if that's what you want, you say those words and you repent from living for your own self, your own selfish desires, and God meets you there. Becomes your God and your father, your friend, your savior, your everything, if that's what you want. So we're gonna pray in a minute here and I'm gonna lead you in a prayer that would allow you to make things right with God and enter into this new relationship with him. So if that's what you want to do, in a minute, I'm going to pray out loud and you're going to pray quietly under your breath, in your heart to God. He hears you. He knows what's on your heart and he'll accept you and he'll meet you and he'll begin a new change in your life. I promise that. But before we say that prayer, I want to do one thing. I just want to know who I get the opportunity to pray with this morning. It's a privilege and an honor for me every week to be able to do this, to pray with people, to lead them into the greatest decision they'll ever make in their lives. And If that's a decision you'd like to make before we pray, I'm going to ask you one thing. People have their eyes closed and their heads bowed, seated around you. It's not for everybody to look at, for you to feel embarrassed or weird about. But I want you to have at least told one person that you're going to make this decision right now. That person is me. So before we pray, we pray together. I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you want to pray this most amazing prayer of your eternity. So that's what you want to pray on the count of three. Would you lift your hand and hold it up until I see you just so I know and I can acknowledge that you're there and then we'll pray this together. Okay, one, two, three. Can you lift your hands right now? I see one right there. I see two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, Shoot, I think I saw all of you. I saw at least 11, 11 people in the room. There could be more, but God saw you. Put your hand on right now and let's just pray right now. Um, You make this a prayer of your heart as I pray it out loud. God, I'm here today and 
I need you. I want you. I'm tired of living life on my own, trying so hard and not seeing the greatest of results. Lord, there's got to be more to life than this, and I believe it's you. I believe you're calling out to me right now, and you want to do some good things in my life. You want to use me to do good things in other people's lives. And Lord, I, I pray, Father God, right now, that you would accept me as I say yes to you. That what I'm telling you is I believe that the key to the whole thing is that your son Jesus came down to pay the price for my sin and my separation from you by dying on the cross. Up until then, I was lost and I had separation from you for eternity. All of us were because we're all imperfect people and there's no room in heaven for imperfect people. You're a holy God. But Lord, you made us holy and righteous and forgiven of our sins through what Jesus did. As he came to this earth, as he died on that cross, he took the hit so we wouldn't have to. He paid the price so that we could not have to die eternal death and separation from you. Lord, we receive what he did for us in paying that price. And then we believe that on the third day, he rose from the dead, proving he's got the power over sin and death and shame and guilt and all the baggage in our lives. So Lord, we hold on to that right now. We believe it, we receive it. We will live it out from this day forward. This prayer doesn't make everything right. This prayer is the beginning of a relationship that makes everything right. So Lord, we enter into that right now saying yes to all your plans for us. Lord, we don't even understand everything, but we were, we'll get a Bible to learn more. We'll get water baptized to symbolize the new work you're doing. We're dying to the old self and being born a new creation. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. We need help. We need power. We need direction and guidance. Give us all of that, Lord. Keep us plugged into church where other people could, could help us walk this, this life of faith out together. Lord, we just thank you and we love you for all that you're about to do in our lives. And in Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Can we praise God for those people that joined the family this morning? Amen. Amen. Best thing we do all morning, I say it every week, best thing that happens around this church is what just happened.